And we read the first 12 verses, please. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it, according to the number of the persons, according to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. Then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire, with unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat it raw, nor boiled at all with water, but roasted in fire, its head with its legs and its entrails. You shall let none of it remain until morning, and what remains of it until morning you shall burn with fire. And thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. So ye shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And just that verse 2. This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. And one other verse is found in Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 19. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall ye not know it? I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. My title tonight is New Beginnings, New Things. For the children of Israel, as we have read, they're at a crossroads in their life. They have a decision to take. They have a stand to take. They have an action to perform. And the weight of the decision will determine the rest of their lives. To understand the situation, to understand the seriousness of it, we need to reacquaint ourselves with a little of the background that we may fully appreciate the weight of the decision that is facing them. In Genesis, 41, in Genesis 33 and verse 18, we find Jacob in Shechem in the land of Canaan. There is a widespread famine and it has touched the land of Canaan. And so Jacob says to his sons, I've heard there's grain to be had in Egypt. Go up to Egypt, buy grain, 
so that we may eat and live and not die. And when I read that statement, it brought home to me the urgency and the seriousness of the situation. It wasn't just a matter of go up to Egypt and buy some grain just to subsidize. We're in dire need. And so his sons make their way to the land of Egypt. But God was one step ahead of him. And God, through Joseph, his son, whom his brethren had sold into slavery years earlier, was in the position to help and meet the need. He rose from a slave to the second highest person of authority in the nation of Egypt. In Genesis 41, we are told how he interpreted the king's dreams. The king's dreams that said for seven years there would be plenty and then there would be seven years of famine. And given charge, he made preparation for the seven years of famine during the seven years of plenty. And so, as we are aware, they make their way to Egypt. Through course of happenings, Joseph recognized his brethren. They did not recognize him. And eventually he revealed himself to them. And he issued an invitation to Jacob, to his brethren, to their families to come and live in Egypt. For Jacob, whom God renamed Israel, this was a big decision. What should he do? Should he stay in the land of Canaan and trust God to meet the need? Or should he respond to his son's invitation to make his way to Egypt? And we read in Genesis 46 and 2, And God spake unto Israel in the visions of the night, and said, Jacob, Jacob, and he said, Here am I. And he said, I am God, the God of thy father. Fear not to go down into Egypt, for I will there make of thee a great nation. And I will go down with thee into Egypt, and I will also surely bring thee up again. The matter is settled as far as Jacob is concerned. God has spoken. God has given direction, and he's following God's lead. And we're made aware that the pharaoh of Egypt sent wagons and transport to bring the whole contingent in to the land of Egypt. And so 70 persons moved from the land of Canaan into the land of Egypt. Joseph, because of his position, was able to secure for them a place to dwell in, the land of Goshen. The land, I am told, was a good land with good grazing for their herds, well watered as it was situated in the lower flow of the River Nile. This land was also separate from other parts of Egypt and so gave the opportunity for the Israelites to live together without having to mingle with the inhabitants of Egypt, without having to travel. They were able to maintain their community. And as I thought of that, God had provided for them a haven in a strange land, in a land where idols were worshipped. He had provided a haven for his people. But the Egyptians invited into Egypt. They were not liked by the people. 
They were invited because of Joseph, but the Egyptians didn't like them. Firstly, they didn't like their occupation. For as we're made aware in Genesis 6, 31 to 34, they despised shepherds. As far as they were concerned, it was an occupation of the lowest. It was one below them, beneath them, to even be involved in. But also for the Egyptians, God's nation was disgusting, not just because they reared sheep, but also for the worship of God. And this is seen from Moses' answer to Pharaoh in Exodus 8 and 25. The situation is Pharaoh says, why do you need to leave the land of Egypt to worship your God? Sure, you can do it where you are. And what does Moses say? It is not meet to do so, for we shall sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians to the Lord our God. Lo, shall we sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians before their eyes, and will they not stone us? Moses was aware of the resentment of the nation of Egypt to God's people and their presence in the land. Israel settled in the land of Egypt in Goshen, and they owned land there. They were fruitful. They increased greatly, multiplied, and became extremely strong so that the land was filled with them, as Exodus 1 and 7 tells us. And it also tells us in Exodus 1 and 12 that even when the Egyptians started to oppress the Israel nation, the more they oppressed them, the more, the, multi the more they multiplied and spread. And as a result, the Egyptians loathed them. The Lord made for his people a place of habitation. He made them fruitful. And as the psalmist takes up the theme in Psalm 105, in verse 24, and he increased his people greatly and made them stronger than their enemies. And surely... This would not have come about had it not been for the fact that the people, the nation of Israel, kept them separate, themselves separate from the nation of Egypt and their idol worship. But then we read in Acts 1 and 8, the good life came to an end. For what does it say? Now there arose a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. Moses records for us in Genesis 15, verse 13, that God, speaking to Abraham, know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. Luke, in Acts 7 and 6, also takes up the theme, and God spake on this wise, that his seed shall so, so that his seed should sojourn in a strange land and that they should bring them into bondage and entreat them evil 400 years. And so, for 400 years, the scriptures are silent regarding the nation of Israel. Apart from the reference in chapter Genesis 49 and 50, which records the death of Jacob and Joseph. 
Genesis 47, 28 tells us that Jacob lived 17 years in Egypt. And when he died, he was 147 years of age. Commentators have estimated that Joseph was approximately 39 years of age when he rose to power in the land of Egypt. And he was 110 years old when he died. But what happened during those 400 years, apart from what we read in Exodus chapter 1? We don't know. The big why question seems to be over the whole situation. Why? When we consider that Jacob went into Egypt on the instruction of God Almighty. Well, could they say, why has this happened to us? Why has God allowed this to happen to us? What have we done to deserve this? And while we may ask many questions why, yet there is no answer. But we have this confidence in God that God knew what he was doing. Moses informs us in Exodus 12 and 40, now the sojourning of the children of Israel who dwelt in Egypt was 430 years. And from this information, we can safely conclude that the good life, as I have titled it at the start, only lasted 10 years, and it was followed by 400 years of slavery. I have difficulty getting my mind around that fact, 400 years in slavery. Had it been a few years, well, we could come to terms with that situation, but 400 years. Do you know, if you take a generation as 40 years, that's 10 generations lived in slavery in the land of Egypt. It must have been a difficult time, a testing time. We're not told, but I'm sure we can imagine. We can think of how they were treated, of what happened to them. And yet, it lasted 400 years. And what does God say when he spoke to Moses at the burning bush? He says, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come unto me, and I've also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppress them. The cry has come up before me. Not their prayers, their cry. God's been speaking to me about this cry. There's something deeper with more desire, with more positiveness in a cry than there is in a prayer. And God says, their cry has come up before me. And so starts a chain of events. God working through Moses to bring about the nation of Israel into a new experience, into a new liberty, into a new freedom. Could they imagine it that it would ever happen after 400 years? For 400 years, every day was the same. Every week was the same. Every month was the same. Every year was the same. No change, no different. Could they believe that God could bring change? The 10 plagues in Egypt, 
were punishments on Pharaoh and Egypt for not allowing God's people to go free from their slavery. Pharaoh, on the other hand, was in a contest with God. He was determined and also demonstrating his power over Israel and questioning, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? What does he say in Exodus 5 and 2? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. Each of the plagues affected the land in different ways. Some of them affected the Israelites as well. But all of the plagues were targeted at Egypt's gods, as we have read in verse 12 of chapter 12. And as we look at the plagues, we see God at work. He is revealing himself not only to the Egyptians as the only true God, but also is reaching out to them. A fact that some picked up on. For we read in Exodus chapter 8 and verse 18, the magicians and those who advised Pharaoh, they tried to persuade him to let the people go, for they acknowledged this is the finger of God. God's word tells us that God is a gracious God. He is not desirous that any should perish. Not only was God reaching out to the Egyptians, because God would not permit himself to on the day of judgment that the Egyptians would stand before him, that they would say, we never knew about you. You never revealed yourself to him, to us. God took time to reveal himself, to show his power to this nation. But not only was he reaching out to the nation of Egypt, but he was revealing himself afresh to the Israelites. And God pronounced judgment on the nation of Egypt and also on their gods. And so we're back to where we started. Decision time. This was the beginning of the rest of their lives. God said in verse 2, This month shall be to be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Forget about the past. What happened in the past, the years of slavery and all that went with it, this month is the beginning of a new experience, a new year. But what were they going to do? What were they, decision were they going to take? See, God revealed his plan. He told Moses and Aaron to tell Pharaoh, but then he also says, tell the people because I want to bring that nation into a new experience to give them a new freedom and liberty that they have never known before. They may have read written accounts of their forefathers who lived in freedom. They may have heard by word of mouth as it's been carried down over the years about what it's like to be free, but they had never experienced it. And God was wanting to give them that new experience. He was wanting to take them where they had never been before. He was wanting to give them a liberty and freedom that they had never known before. Before, the oppressors, the taskmasters dictated what they did, when they did it, and so on. But God wanted them to bring, in, bring them into a new freedom and liberty in him. But the question is, 
what would they do? Perhaps for some of them, they'd given up hope. Nothing's ever going to change. It's been this way for 400 years. It's not going to change. If it hasn't changed by now, it's not going to change. And we'll just have to make the best of it. Perhaps for some, they had reached a stage of contentment in their situation. And surely this is highlighted whenever we look at what they said to Moses in Exodus 14 and 12. When they were faced with their first difficulty, is not the this the words that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians. They'd come to that condition and frame of mind. Well, we're content where we are. It mightn't be the best. It mightn't be what we would like, but we're making the best of it. But then there was others. Their desire was to be set free, and they cried unto God. God said, Behold, the cry of the children of Israel is come unto me. They cried, and God heard. What does the psalmist say? Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. What does God say in Numbers 23, verse 19? God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Up until this moment in time, the children of Israel had been spectators. The nine plagues that had preceded, God told Moses what he was going to do. Moses told Pharaoh. The children of Israel looked on. But on this occasion, God said to Moses, tell the people, they're no longer to be spectators. They're to be participators. I have a job for them to do. There's a task for them to perform. They have to act. They have to do. They have to make that commitment. They have to be involved. For them, it could, they could say, well, these are new things to us. And yes, they were new. Even in the killing of the lamb, for the children of Israel, killing a lamb and cooking it to eat was nothing new. But what about the way they were told to roast it whole and with its entrails? That's all his insides, isn't it? Not to clean it out, cook it as it is. And then they were to apply the blood to the doorposts and lintel. This was new. They'd never done that before. They could easily have said that that's not the way we do it. They could look back over 400 years and never it came to killing the lamb and cooking it. This is the way we do it. This is the way we go about it. They could have adopted that attitude. But you know, if they wanted to be free, they had to realize that they had to do it God's way. And of course, we know what happened. In Genesis 12, verse 32, we're made aware that 600,000 men plus women and children left and brought to an end 430 years of living in a strange land. 
But what relevance, what significance, what message does that bring to us in 2014? I believe what it says. This month shall be the beginning of months, the first month of the year, the first month of the year, 2014. And God says it's time to make a choice. A decision has to, has to be made. And depending on the decision you take will determine the path you take, not only in this year, but in the rest of your life. Do we want change? Are we looking for change? Do we believe God can do something new? Do we believe God can bring us into new experiences to give us new liberty, to give us new freedom, new understanding in the things of God, to see new things happen, to see new things take place, to see situations that seemed impossible, like the children of Israel, 400 years in slavery. Who could believe that things could change? But you know, when God's in the business, all things are possible. Do we look at our situation? Do we say, well, this is the way it is, and I have to make the best of us? How many have got to that stage in life? Or are we happy with our lot? Or are we longing for God to do something? And are we prepared to do what he asks us to do? To become participators and no longer spectators that we may see our circumstances change and our needs met. Can we believe God to intervene in marriages, in family situations, regarding people's health, regarding work situations, regarding situations in the community? Can we believe God that he can bring about a change, that he can bring about a transformation? then let us cry unto God that he will hear our cry. You know, we cry for many reasons. We cry when we're sorrowful. We cry when we're joyful. We cry when we're in pain, when we're in distress, when because of fear. But how often do we cry unto God? In 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 10, we find Hannah in the Lord temple and what does it say? She was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Elijah the prophet looked on her and he said, she's drunk. But this was her situation. She was pouring out her very soul before God. She was calling on to God through her tears. She wasn't happy with her situation. She wanted change. She wanted God to bring about change. She was calling on one with whom all things were possible, and she wanted him to meet the need. Is that where we are at the beginning of 2014? Are we prepared to cry unto God? Are we at that stage where we say, enough's enough. God, you've got to bring change. There's got to be a solution to this situation. There's got to be an opening of a door. There's got to be a way forward. We need to cry, but also we need our faith that what he said he is able to perform. Isaiah 
43 says, Behold, I will do a new thing. I try to imagine what the children of Israel must have felt whenever they were walking out of the land of Egypt after 400 years. You know, I'm sure they were thinking, I don't believe it. They were lost for words. That we are actually free, that we're, we're, they're loading us down with gifts. They're actually giving us gifts and sending us away. Where before they wouldn't let us, well, they wouldn't let us do anything. And he says, it shall spring forth, shall ye not know it? As they thought, like when Moses spoke to them, 14 days and your life's going to be transformed. 14 days and you're going to be in a situation that you never in your wildest dreams could have imagined. That's going to happen so quickly. Can you believe God can do that for us? Even in this year in which we find ourselves. I will even make a way in the wilderness. Those doors that have been shut. Those situations that seems impossible. There's no light at the end of the tunnel. There doesn't seem to be any answer coming anywhere. And every effort that we make to try and open a door, it won't open. Can you believe that God can make a way even in the wilderness? A way where there is no way. And rivers in the desert place. I remember seeing a documentary some years ago and the, the picture that was presented was the desert and just for miles upon miles, nothing but sand. And then the camera picked up a little cloud in the sky and it focused on it. And as it traveled towards where they were filming, it got nearer and nearer and all of a sudden it started to rain. It was only what I call a sun shower. It lasted a brief moment. And then the camera focused on the desert again. And all of a sudden you saw little green shoots popping up. And within a matter, I'm not exaggerating, of a couple of minutes, there was a green carpet where once there'd been nothing but sand. See, this is the way God can do it. Do we believe God? God can do a quick work. That can, God can bring out of what seems a hopeless situation fruit for his honor and for his glory. What does Paul write in Ephesians 3 and 20? Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly, abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Can we imagine it tonight? Can we imagine that situation that has troubled us for maybe years being solved? That difficulty that has held us back for years being removed. Those seeds that have been sown in the desert, there was seed in the sand. It was sown, heart was sown, I don't know, but it was land dormant. But can we imagine that those seeds that we have sown into the lives of our unsaved members of family and friends, that this year, as God caused the rain from heaven to fall on the desert by a spirit he can call that rain to fall that could cause those seeds to burst forth and bring forth a harvest. Jesus said, with men it is impossible, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. You know, the Course says, 
I believe God. I believe God. Ask what you will, and it shall be done. Trust and obey. Believe it and say, I believe. I believe God. But do we? It's easy to pay lip service, but God wants action. I believe as God has impressed upon me over this last couple of months, he requires us to act. You know, there are times when the Spirit moves, and we know the Spirit's moving, and it's easy to move when the Spirit is moving, but there are times when it seems nothing has happened, and those times we need to step out in faith, exercise faith. God's Word says, so I'm going to do. God's Word says, any sick among you, let them call for the elders of the church. Let them anoint them with oil. Let them pray over them, and they shall be healed. That's not my words. That's not the words of the church or the organization. That's God's words. We need to step out in this year. For I believe God has not planned 2014 to be the same as any other year. God has a plan for this year. God has a purpose in each one of our lives for this year. The question is, do we want to see that purpose fulfilled? Do we want to see change brought about? Do we want to move into that new experience and liberty and freedom that God has for us? We have read it in his word. We have heard people speak about it, mostly the older generation. But as yet we have not experienced it. Do we believe that God can give us that experience in this year in which we find ourselves? It's easy to make play lip service. It's easy to say amen when the scriptures are, are quoted or someone says something. But God wants action. Our first action, let us cry out to God. As Hannah cried out. She didn't care whether what Elijah thought. She didn't care what anybody else in the temple thought. She poured her very soul and being out before God. For the nation of, of Israel, there were those who cried out. From their very innermost beings, they cried unto God. God says, I have heard their cry, and I'm answering their need. Do we believe God this evening? But we must take account of ourselves. We must be prepared to act. We must be prepared to call out to God. God said to Moses, this month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year till you. Can we believe that this is the beginning of new things, that new things are going to happen, new experiences, that we look back, should the Lord tarry, to this time next year, and we not say, well, 2014 wasn't much of a change to 2013, but it was a terrific year. For God, not only did God hear us, our cry, God answered, God brought about change, God brought us into new experiences, and God led us on. Praise his name.